Welcome to Space Floor NBA Podcast. My name is Connor Geelan. And I'm Connor Flannery. This is our 108th official episode. Today we're going to be doing one top storyline for each team where Connor's going to be doing the East and I'm doing the West. We're going to go back and forth and just kind of hit, this is what we think is the most interesting storyline and ask the other what, what we think about it. So Connor, start us off Atlanta Hawks. We're going in alphabetical order. All right, we're going rapid fire. The most interesting storyline for the Atlanta Hawks, I think, has to do with DeAndre Hunter. I want to know what you see his role being, because last year we saw in the playoffs, he was averaging like 21 points per game on crazy efficiency against a good Miami Heat defense. Uh, and now he's in, he's entering his fourth year. He was a top five pick. There's some expectations here. What do you think of DeAndre Hunter? Like you said, I think that during the playoffs last season, DeAndre Hunter showed some flashes to be more than just the kind of three and D wing role that I think people would quickly categorize him as. Um, maybe some flashes of off the dribble, pull up kind of mid-range game. And if he can be sort of an extra shot creator for them, coming along with the addition of DeJounte Murray, I think that's kind of one of the X factors that could push the Hawks from being like kind of just barely a play-in team to like actually being comfortably in that sort of top six of the Eastern Conference. And I don't say only top six because as we'll get into, the East has gotten a lot better this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think that's a good point. I think he's going to be critical for their success. Uh, moving on to the Boston Celtics, would you say that Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown is the best wing defender on this roster? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, Jason Tatum was All-NBA first team last season, and you don't get to be All-NBA first team without being a stud on both sides of the ball. Um, as much as Jalen Brown is is a disruptive defender in his own right, if I'm taking one guy uh, to sort of be the, the most versatile defender to guard the other team's best player, ignoring their offensive, their respective offensive loads. Give me Jason Tatum. I think his his ability to create havoc as a, sort of a rim protector from the weak side to um, kind of lock up the other team's best wing, um, kind of do it all on the defensive end of the court. I think he's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, um, bigger wingspan. Like I'll take that as defender, but I don't think it's necessarily one way over the uh, over the other. I mean, I think there's a real argument that about who the best defender even on this team is, because you have Marcus Smart, Swing Defense Player of the Year yeah. last year, Robert Williams, one of the best rim protectors in the league, and then, like you said, two of the better uh, defensive wings in the league. So really a good defensive lineup top to bottom here. But, but yeah. give me Jason Tatum, I have it too. You had the Giannis stopper too and Al Horford. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, Brooklyn Nets. Can Ben Simmons be an all-star this year? Because I feel like, it's not even a possibility to people. Meanwhile, in his past four healthy seasons, he's made the all-star game. Yeah, it's a good question. It, it, one of the biggest things, that, it, like just storylines, not just for the Nets, but I think this whole season will be like, what role can Ben Simmons play? Because I think that if you're right, and he can be kind of a third all-star next to Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant, suddenly you've got like a real legit big three. And I don't know who's, you know, stopping stopping the Nets, right? It's kind of just like maybe the Bucks in the East in their, in their way to, for that kind of like top favorite spot. But I guess in response, I will say, I think it's pretty unlikely that Ben Simmons will be a third all-star in the Nets because I would expect that if you have a healthy Kevin Durant and a healthy Kyrie Irving, those two guys will both be all-stars for the Nets. I don't think that they'll have three. It's just pretty unlike, it's pretty, it's pretty, it happens pretty infrequently that you have a team with three all-stars, uh, even if they're the top seed in the respective conference. But I think what you could see this season is that Ben Simmons isn't an all-star, but if he's the third best player on this Brooklyn Nets team, that would be huge for them. All they need, I think, is for him to be sort of a, a gap filler, to be to be a, a, I don't know, to be one of the 
maybe the best defender on the team to be a playmaker that allows Kyrie and Kevin Durant to both kind of play off ball roles coming off of screens and just getting right into their shots. Cause I think that Kyrie is a natural kind of two guard and a point guard's body. Whereas if you have Ben Simmons taking on a lot of the playmaking responsibilities, kind of being a Draymond green kind of role, except he's bigger, like that could be kind of all the Brooklyn Nets need to push them to be a winning team. And that might not be the kind of stats that jump off the page and make Ben Simmons an all-star, but I think, it would push the Brooklyn Nets to another level of contention. Dude, that's phenomenal analysis. The one thing I would add is I think specifically Brooklyn maximizes his play style because they have so much shooting, whether it's uh, the the two all-NBA caliber players or Joe Harris or Seth Curry or TJ Warren, et cetera. Um, they have the guys to surround Ben Simmons and cr- create open lanes for him. Uh, so I, I'm really optimistic for his season. Uh, for the mm-hmm. Charlotte Hornets, um, Obviously, they have the worst center rotation in basketball. It looks Mason Plumley, Mark Williams, maybe PJ Washington can play some small ball center. What do you think is the solution? Like, are you optimistic for Mark Williams? Do they have to get someone in free agency? And should they just tank this year? Yeah, I mean, I think if 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 you're trying to win games, you might need a, a better a better starting center, like you said, because I think as as much as I'm high on Mark Williams as a guy coming out of Duke, he's a rookie, and so and so maybe isn't the kind of guy that you'd be starting if you're trying to like win games immediately. Oftentimes, you look for a veteran in that kind of spot, um, but I do think that that what you alluded to with the tanking is probably a good call here because as we'll get into with some of these later teams, like Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson are at the top of this draft. If there were ever a year to tank, it would be this one. And with uh, Lamoa Ball expected to miss at least the season opener with this ankle injury, we'll see when he comes back. With Miles Bridges just sort of off the roster indefinitely, um, this team is going to take a huge step back from from last year, potentially. Um, and I think if you're Lamella Ball and you're looking around this roster, you're kind of questioning what else there is to be as you kind of sign on to your second contract, like who else are you going to be playing with for the next five years? You know? So I think that they have an opportunity this season through the, through the draft, through the lottery to get another kind of secondary cornerstone guy next to LaMelo ball. And so I think that, that they should go, that they should go for that and tank rather than trying to squeeze into plan. That makes sense Uh, for the Chicago bulls. The storyline I'm thinking of is what is their ceiling for this year? Right? Because Mm -hmm. Lonzo Ball's already going to be missing a good chunk of the year. They were not good without him last year. Can DeMar DeRozan repeat what Zach Levine going to look like? What is the ceiling of the Chicago Bulls team? So, I mean, the the question here, I think, is for the most part health, like you kind of mentioned, you know, because I think that the, the Chicago, Chicago Bulls started a, a lot hotter last year than they ended up um, because they, lo- what they lost um, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, just had a bunch of injuries that kind of slowed them down. I think the the one the one problem here is I I would expect them I, I don't think it's fair to expect them to play the way they start started last season even if they were healthy because everybody's a year older right Demar Nikola Vucevic um, I just uh, this is a team that a lot of their top players are on the wrong side of the age curve and now you you know your your two best young players and Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball can't seem to stay on the court so we'll see I would expect if anything this team to sort of like hover around where they were maybe take one step one one half step back you are getting Patrick Williams back which is exciting but but the Lonzo Ball just like again being out to start the season kind of with a question mark is is not a good look so um I expect another big season from DeMar DeRozan and, and Zach Levine hopefully but but other than that like it's it's kind of question marks for the Chicago Bulls and and I think they'll be sort of like middle of the east 
as a lot of the other teams are improving. Speaking of uh, middle to high level teams, East, the Cleveland Cavaliers, mm. uh, they have a stacked roster, stacked starting lineup with uh, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell at the guards, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen at the bigs. There's a little bit of a hole in this wing position with potentially Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, Dean Wade, or Chetty Osmond filling it. Who do you think is the best option to fill this starting wing role? Yeah, so sneakily, the third, the, uh, outside of those four guys you named, the other guy who could fit into that spot would be Okai Baji, who's the, uh, their, their draft pick out of Kansas. I think he played th- three or four years there, obviously just coming off of the national championship. I think he is the kind of guy who could step in and make a pretty immediate impact in the league, especially if the buzz from Cleveland Cavaliers fans based off of summer league is accurate. I think that you could quickly see even though I get Coro has been in the league for a couple of years, Karis LeVert is pretty established despite injuries. Um, like maybe uh, Okai Baji, like at some point this season, take over that starting role. And he's not huge. I think he's only like six, five, but uh, and maybe that's a bit of a concern next to Darius Carroll and Donovan Mitchell. But I, I think that of the, the, he has the potential to like this season be better than any of the guys you just named, because I think Isaac Coro doesn't give you that much offensively. And chances are Karis LeVert, will have another health concern. Knock on wood, I would love for him to stay healthy, but his track record just isn't great. Honestly, that's a great point. I, I, yeah, I consider o- Oche a little more of a shooting guard than a small forward, but you know, I would love to see him try to run out there with those guys. Um, moving mm-hmm. on to the Detroit Pistons, my storyline surrounds Cade Cunningham. Like, How good can Cade actually be? Right? They, they added Alec Burks, they added Nerlens Noel, they added Bojan Bogdanovic. Real vets who have like shooting ability or rim running ability that can elevate Cade's game. Is Cade Cunningham going to be an all star guy every year, or is he going to be up there, you know, all NBA first team, all NBA second team every year kind of guy? Like, is he going to be a league defining guy as the number one overall pick, or just another good all star, which every team would love to have? You know, I think it's it's hard to say after just one season. Um, what his what the rest of his career is going to look like. But I think that you would love to see if he's going to be the All-NBA first team, All-NBA second team kind of guy that you're saying he could be for him to take that jump this season. Um, he's the kind of guy who's not necessarily a one-man show in terms of athleticism. Like I'm thinking of like a John Morant, but he kind of plays with a, because he's, he's sort of a big player with a lot of finesse, good change of pace, good playmaking, kind of snakes his way inside and create a lot from sort of the like, mid-range area if he can continue to stretch his jumper out farther towards behind the three-point line because I think he only shot around like 31 percent back there last season um, I think you could see Cade make a huge jump this year because the supporting cast around him is getting a lot better and you have more talent on the roster this season I don't necessarily in a position to win now but adding even just like Bojan Bogdanovic for example who's a great shooter that the the Jazz were just trying to sell off or or um you know, adding Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivey, like these are guys that could potentially be big building blocks for the for the Detroit Pistons moving forward. And I think that would be fun to see Cade develop within this season and hopefully make the second year jump that we expect out of a first overall pick. One thing I would add is he was also pretty, pretty bad at the rim last year, efficiency wise. Um, I think it's going to be critical for him to get better at the rim if he's going to be like that all NBA kind of guy. Moving on to the Indiana Pacers, my headline is basically the same question surrounding Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I don't know if like the general consensus is that he's going to be a first team all NBA guy like Kate Cunningham is, but is Tyrese going to be like 
a good starter that that every team would want on a team, almost like a almost like a present day Lonzo, maybe a little better, or is he going to be like an all a perennial All Star pushing All NBA every year? Is he going to be that type of guy? Yeah, I mean, the question here is like, can he can he make a jump the way he did at the end of last season with the Pacers? And can he just kind of fulfill that for the for the whole season? Because with the Pacers last season, he was a 17 and a half point per game score, 9.6 assists. If he can be an 18 and 10 guy for the whole season, I think he's on pace to being a long-term all-star in this league. Um, I think he's already one of the best young passers, um, has an incredible jumper. It might look funky, but he's hitting it 40, oh, 41, 42% with those uh, in those what is it, 26 games he played with the Pacers last season. Pulling up to his left, it's a little bit funky, but pulling up to the right, butter. Um, I would encourage anybody who hasn't to go check out the STF solo I did on Tyrese Halliburton with some film last season after the trade that the Kings made to send him to the Pacers. But in my opinion, I might be higher than consensus. I think that the kind of numbers he was putting together at the end of last season with the Pacers are exactly what we can expect for him to do as the number one guy the thing that the guy that everyone will everything will run through this season for the Pacers I mean I wouldn't be surprised if it's a if it's a 19 and 10 kind of season for Tyrese Halliburton and and I think that puts him firmly in the kind of like all-star conversation as just a fourth year player I think yeah uh Reese is also just like an amazing guy as well um so it's like someone you want to root for. The storyline mm-hmm. for the Miami Heat for me is what is the ceiling of this team? And I would specifically love to hear your thoughts on both Bam Adebayo and Kyle Lowry and how they fit into that. Yeah, I mean, the Miami Heat are not the kind of team you want to bet against in the regular season standings. I've learned that lesson over the last couple of years that I keep thinking this team is too old and is and is kind of past their prime and they keep surprising me. So I don't want to bet against Kyle Lowry per se, but uh, I think we're quickly getting to the point where that contract is – you're seeing where, why people talked about this a few years ago as potentially a, 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 a bad negative contract at the end of it. And I think he still has like two years left. So that's a little bit scary. I think I think Kyle Lowry is, is potentially on his way to doing more harm than good in terms of the money on this roster. Um, but I do think he has still got a lot in the tank. He's, he will forever have that jumper. Um, he He plays 94 feet. And he can be an offensive engine for the Heat, you know. As he's long as he's a charge menace too. Yeah. He's a menace when yeah. it comes to taking charges. He's big enough that even if he loses a step, he should still be a decent defender. Um, but the real, but the, the real place that I think that they that the Heat, like you kind of alluded to, can can step up for the fact that some of their guys are getting older is the fact that Bam Adebayo should just be entering his prime. I think he's only twenty five years old right now. Probably my pick for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, one of the most versatile defenders in the NBA. And he has consistently shown flashes of like, oh, there might be something more there on offense um, that that could turn him into more than just sort of like a top 40 NBA player, but, but, but you know, really like an all NBA level guy. Um, and, and I think that we might, if the, if that's going to happen, I think it will happen kind of this year or next. So um, he'll, he'll make that kind of jump offensively. So hopefully this is the season that we see the kind of touch that Bam has and continue to see improvements in his in his like defensive timing and IQ and, and where he knows to be. Because I think that, that the potential on both sides is is just sky high for Bam. For the Milwaukee Bucks, 
my storyline is, are they still the favorites to come out of the East with Philadelphia getting better, the Nets getting Ben Simmons, uh, and the Boston Celtics, you know, not losing any significant pieces and adding Malcolm Brogdon? Are they still a team to come out of the East? Yeah, I mean, you pointed out to me recently how weak the Bucks bench is, which is a little bit of a concern, I think, as you as you approach kind of the the especially in the regular season, right? Because it's like, if anything goes wrong, this could be a team that, that quickly like loses a favorable matchup, right? Because, because the East is so strong. If you have, you know, Giannis missed 20 games, knock on wood again, like not that I, not that I would be rooting for that ever, but it's like, this team does not have the depth to support that. So what you really need, in my opinion, is just like the big three to all stay on the court the whole season, because last season we lost Chris Middleton during the playoffs if you ask me, the Bucks are the favorite to win the championship as long as all three of their of their big three is playing. Um, the only time we've kind of really seen them all on the court together for a prolonged period of time, they won the championship. So I'm not betting against that against that core, and um, you know, kind of regardless of what of what else has happened in the East, like that big three is proven and they've meshed well together. And and so give me the Bucks over. Anybody else that's made moves this offseason until proven otherwise. That's very fair. I personally would agree. I think the Bucks at least favorites come out of the East, if not to hoist Larry O'Brien. Moving mm-hmm. on to both the New York Knicks and the Orlando Magic, I have similar questions for both. Both of these teams have like five, six, seven young pieces that they drafted in the first round that are showing some level of promise. Which guys for each of these rosters are like, the core pieces that you you can point to and say, I want to build around you. You're, if not untouchable, very close to being untouchable. And I see you being on this roster for the next five years. Yeah. I mean, to start off with the Knicks, uh, it's like, it's like, he's kind of a, he's not even so much of a young player anymore because he came into the league after, after his junior season at Villanova and being national player of the year. But to me, Jalen Brunson has to fit in that category for the Knicks already, even though we haven't seen him play a regular season game yet. I just think like the contract that we signed him to, while some people are arguing might be a slight overpay, I don't think we'll ever get to the point where you have to attach a pick to it to get rid of it. I think there will always be a positive asset. And I'm really excited for what he's going to bring to the Knicks, not only as you know his scoring ability in and of itself. And that's not just because he had that one 40-point game uh, in the playoffs while Luka was out. I think that uh, Jalen Brunson just has a lot of finesse and craftiness and, and can get his buckets and create something out of nothing um, kind of at all times because he doesn't rely on straight line speed, but but has um, just like great fundamentals that 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 will make his teammates better. Because that's sort of the main thing is it's not just what Jalen Brunson will bring himself. It's what he will bring to his teammates, because I think that Jalen Brunson could also take RJ Barrett to another level this season a guy who has struggled at the rim um, historically uh, in, throughout the first few years of his career. And um, I think that's mostly because he hasn't had the same spacing. He's been asked to be kind of the first slash second option next to Julius Randle on a team that just didn't quite have the other offensive weapons to support him, right? So then you give him a true point guard, a guy who's going to open up the floor for him, and R.J. Barrett could take a huge step forward this season. So that backcourt of Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett having not seen them play a single game together yet during the regular season, I think is our backcourt of the future. And, and I'll, and, and I'm, and I'm very high on that pair. 
Obi Toppin, I think, could be an X factor this season. I would love for us to use the point where we no longer need to keep Julius Randle because I think as a star player, he's proven that it, 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 I guess we kind of seen that that one season he had where we were the four seed was probably more of a fluke than like last season where he had an, I guess, an off shooting season by comparison was because he had that one kind of standout year. But everything else we've seen has kind of pointed to the contrary. So I would love to get to the point where we don't have to give Julius Randle the big bucks and keep extending him and bringing him back to, to be kind of our best player. And I would love for RJ Barrett to like solidify himself as the first option with Obi Toppin as kind of a guy you can take big minutes at the four position without us losing that much. Because at the end of the last season, call it garbage time, call it whatever you want. He ended the season with like a 40 something point game, you know, and in the last in the last like 10 games of our season or something like that, he was averaging like 35 minutes and he in and, and like 25 points. So like I don't I wish I had the exact numbers on me, but but he made a leap just at the end of the season um, when when Thibodeau and the Knicks Fernavas gave him a lot more opportunity. Um, so I think Obi Toppin has the chance to play a much more substantial role this season. I would love to see Mitchell Robinson stay healthy. I think that he has potential to fit in this category too. If if he you know if if he plays a lot and plays well this season, and then of course there's lots to be excited about with Emmanuel quickly. But I'd love to see whether like it just it's for him a question of like whether the offense is going to be enough that we can afford what he lacks defensively. Um, moving on to the Magic, uh, I'm really high on Paolo Bancaro. I think he should have been the first overall pick. I made a video about why about whether Jabari Smith should be the first overall pick and, and how when that was sort of the conversation and I was pretty skeptical of him as the first overall pick um, when I made that video I think Paolo is the right call and I'm also really high on Franz Wagner uh, I think he's going to have a great second season and um, the rest of their team I would like to see Jonathan Isaac come back as the all defensive kind of guy that we suspected he might be on track towards being I would love to see a full season of Markel Fultz tearing, tearing it up in the pick, pick and roll. Uh, I would like to see Jalen Suggs, whatever that injury he had in preseason was, and for him to heal up and get back fast and hopefully put together a good season. Um, I'm just not that high. Like, I don't, I don't think Bull Bull. I don't think Cole Anthony. I don't think um, some of their other young talent is going to blow you away this season. So to me, it's really the guys to be excited about are Franz Wagner, Paolo Bencaro, and then if we can finally see what Jalen Suggs is about. But yeah. Yeah. Jalen Suggs is still pretty intriguing. He just, I think he just needs to play more basketball games. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I don't, I definitely don't have the, the door shut on, on, uh, on Suggs. I am so high on Franz Wagner. I think two years from now, he's going to be an all-star. Wow. I, th- I think, I think not this upcoming season, the next one, I think he's going to be an all-star. He's a six ten, and he's playing shooting guard for the Orlando Magic. And he's he can move like like a like a shooting guard. It's gonna be so awesome. Um, also, update that just came in an hour ago is that uh, Chris Middleton is expected to miss the first few weeks of the regular season. Um, wow. So there's there's something. So uh, you know, rest up for him. Uh, but moving on, um, that was great analysis, honestly, for for both teams. Moving on to the Sixers, I'm fascinated by both James Harden and Tyrese Maxey and how they will impact the 76ers team. What is Tyrese Maxey's ceiling going forward for the next year or two? And how does Harden fit into this team? And what level do you expect him to play at? Yeah, I mean, so so I've got a few Philadelphia 76ers fans who have been have been hyping up uh, 
James Harden and Tyrese Max kind of in my ear all summer because I think you know what Joel Embiid is going to be, and that's and that's a consistent MVP candidate, one of the best few players in the league. The question is, some guys think that James Harden is going to come back and be close to his former self. And I don't think if you're expecting, I was recently watching James Harden for back in his Rockets days. If you're expecting James Harden to be anywhere close to his 36 point per game self, where the jazz for a playoff series literally had to guard him on his ass to prevent him from taking step back threes and just giving him the lane downhill. I think you're out of your mind. I think that James Harden will still be one of the top, you know, 30 or so players in the NBA um, because he can be a 20 and 10 guy easily. He can, he can walk his way there. Um, he's one of the best passers and is still a dangerous score. Um, just super crafty and, and, and has all of the tricks of the trade, but it's like, if I just don't think he has quite the same explosiveness or quickness that he once did. And that's enough to be an excellent secondary piece next to Joel Embiid. But I don't think he's going to take a jump compared to last season per se. I think the guy who will do that, as you mentioned, Tyrese Maxey. I'm super high on where he's going to be, not just this season, but for the coming seasons. I think what they lucked into with Tyrese Maxey, or maybe lucked into isn't the right word, but but um, kind of found themselves with potentially the third guy in, in, in this little core with James Harden and, and Joel Embiid. And I think that out of a guy who was drafted in the twenties, I believe um, to, to get kind of your, your third piece is, is fantastic, right? Like a guy who yeah. is shooting 40% from three while also being one of the fastest players in the NBA will be able to create for himself off of the dribble while being able to run a pick and roll. He really can do it all offensively and is a, just a complete player already at such a young age. Right. So I just, I'm so excited for where he's going to go because I think he can score kind of from anywhere on the court and is a kind of player that will both play off of uh, James Harden and Joel Embiid, but also be able to kind of create for himself and, and just make magic happen. So I, I, I think Tyrese Maxey is ready for an all-star kind of jump also. Out of the three young shooting guards that often get compared to each other being Jordan Poole, Tyrese Maxey, and Tyler Hero, I think Tyrese Maxey is the highest ceiling. Yeah, those three, just because he is probably the best shooter, which is mm-hmm. surprising. And I think he's the best attacker, too, um, like going to the rim. He's the fastest. Um, his defense has to pick up. I don't know if that will ever happen because he's kind of a smaller guy. Uh, he's not that the other hard. two guys don't have the defense yeah. either. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, dude, Tyrese Mexican is so good. And I, I think he fits so well with Joel Embiid. It's really fun to see. Uh, moving on to the Toronto Raptors, this is basically a similar question to the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls. Where do you see them ending up this season, given that a lot of the other teams in the East got better? Um, but like the Heat, they always seem to exceed expectations, especially in the regular season. They play their guys a lot. I think like Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam like led the league in minutes last year, like two of the top three. Gary Trent Jr. is playing like 40 minutes a night or something like that. Uh, and then an offshoot is Nick Nurse the best coach in the league. Interesting question with Nick Nurse. I would have definitely said so after that Kawhi championship, I think 2019. Which um, was his first which was his first coaching year. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, something that is uh that is kind of I think fallen by the wayside in NBA history, but it's just crazy to me always still thinking about is Dwayne Casey was fired after winning coach of the year with the Raptors the season before. They bring in Kawhi, they bring in Nick Nurse and then win the championship. So fired the coach of the year and then won the championship the next season. Crazy hired little a better coach. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Um 
to move on to the, to your to your question about where they'll finish in the standings. So they were they were fifth last season behind only the Heat, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers. I expect all four of those teams to to finish above the Raptors again this year. Um, the Raptors are relying mostly on internal improvement from guys like Scotty Barnes um, to in order to to keep improving, but um, I don't think that puts them quite to the same level that that internal improvement as some of those teams above them, which I think are just absolute powerhouses in the Eastern Conference. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Chicago Bulls, who finished sixth last season, stayed below the Raptors. That's very plausible to me, um, just based off of health, if nothing else. Um, as you kind of mentioned, they're aging team too. But you have teams like the Nets, the Hawks, and the Cavs, and even the Knicks that have added a lot of firepower this offseason and could potentially jump the Raptors. I would bet on at least the Nets, the Hawks, and the Cavs jumping the Raptors, which would put the Raptors down to eighth. If the Knicks then finished at nine above above the Hornets, above the Wizards, above the Pacers, Pistons, and Magic, that wouldn't be that wouldn't surprise me. But um, but I would say yeah, keep those same four top teams of Heat, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, um, then the Nets, the Hawks, the Cavs, leaving the Raptors at eight, Knicks at nine. I think that that pretty much rounds out the plan. Um, take your pick of the Wizards, the Pacers. Then, then for the tenth spot, but but I think that pretty much rounds out the plan. So I think, I think the Raptors will probably fall a couple of spots, mostly from the fact that Donovan Mitchell is now in the Eastern Conference, and Kyrie Irving is hopefully going to play a full season next to Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant, um, and that Dejounte Murray is now in the East. Um, you know, like I just think that the, some of those teams just have gotten a lot better. Not necessarily that the Raptors have gotten worse, but like you said, not usually a good idea to bet the Raptors uh, under on win total. Agreed. Uh, and last team in the East, the Washington Wizards. Uh, joke storyline is, is this the most bland team in the NBA? Like, I'm trying to rack my brain. I would probably say them or the Hornets, but at least in the East. But the Hornets at least have LaMelo Ball. And as someone yeah. going to Georgetown University and, you know, going to Wizards games occasionally, it just like, you know, I like Bradley Beal. I actually like some of the additions that they made. I think Monte Morris is a great guard. Uh, as a role player, Will Barton. I it just this team I feel like is talked about the least in the NBA. Uh, yeah. So outside of that, uh, do you think one they will make the play in, and two will Bradley Beal be on this roster next year? So I, I kind of just talked about the plan, um, and I guess it's between the Wizards and the Pacers for that last spot. I would expect, Wait, really. Right. So. The bottom, the bottom five teams who aren't going to make it, I would, who who are potentially not going to make it. The the five who didn't make it last year were the Magic, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Wizards, the Knicks. Right, I would expect the the Hornets to fall out, the Knicks to replace them, and then yeah. otherwise the plan to stay pretty much pretty much the same ten teams. Um, so then. It's between the, the five teams left over that aren't in that 10, I guess. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess so. No, and none of the, those teams are making it. You're saying the Knicks yeah. take the last seed. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess that I'm saying, no, the Wizards are not going to make it. They'll be left with the Pacers, Pistons, Magic, and Hornets outside of the plan. Um, and, that's, and that's sort of the five that don't make the cut. But you never know. It's a team that has Bradley Beal who – He's a forward 30-point-per-game scorer in the league. Chris Porzingis, who 
when healthy in his prime, was an all-star with the Knicks. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that one of their kind of big wings that they've drafted in the lottery over the last few years, Rui Hachimura, Denny Dia, Corey Kispert, even Johnny Davis this year, one of them kind of makes a leap and, and is a legit contributor. They've got Kuzma. Um, like this, this, this still could be a playing team, I suppose, but um, they just can never seem to quite put it together. Um, and I'm not thinking that this is going to be that changes. Um, I, I don't know that they're the most uh, like bland team in, in the in the NBA this season because, like I said, they, they have some young pieces and and Kristaps is always going to be exciting when he plays and uh, just because because he's seven three if nothing else you know what I mean he's just a he's just a unicorn to and, and a giant to see out there but um they're down there they're I don't down know there. who who would be I guess like the Spurs the and the Jazz I don't know like the Kings they have fought, like first year of Fox they they have, they have a top five pick. Keegan Murray, first okay. full year of Fox and Sabonis, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like, and I, I would actually say the Spurs and the Jazz, just because, like, I don't really care about those young players like I would for a Lamella Ball, um, or even like a Bradley Beal. This season, uh, so the Spurs and the Jazz, yeah. yeah. Historically, like over the last, you know. Uh, oh no, no, no. Whatever, I, I'm, like, saying, I I'm know, saying, I'm but... saying this year. I'm yeah, saying this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the team that, that will not be under league pass? Yeah. Um <laughs> let's let's just over to the West though. We kind of we kind of previewing it anyway. The Dallas Mavericks are, are the first team on on the on the docket. My question for you, is this Luca's MVP year? No, I don't think so. I think he'll finish top three. Uh we also have to keep in mind that Luca's been the favorite the past two years. And this could say two things. This this could say that the people want him to win, so maybe that gives him a boost uh a boost in the polls. But on the other hand, it means that just because he's favored doesn't mean he's going to win. I personally think Joel Embiid is going to take home this MVP. I think that for two reasons. One, I think he's going to be the same player he was the past two seasons where he's came in second. Uh, and then Jokic isn't going to win it again. So, you know, the only person who's been beating him falls out. Uh, and there's not going to be another guy to surpass him because maybe Giannis could take it away yeah. from him. I don't know. That depends on the Bucks' health. That depends on their record, et cetera. Luca is probably going to be like a five seed. His Mavericks team is not great. They added Christian Wood, but they got rid of Jalen Brunson. The lack of creation, especially in the non-Luca minutes, alarms me. And I don't think he's going to be putting up like literally the most efficient season of all time. Like Jokic when he won it when he was the four seed. I don't think he's going to be putting up the first triple-double season in 40 years like Russell Westbrook did it when he was a sixth seed. And outside of those two seasons, every other MVP in history has been a top three seed. So that's kind of what I'm going to conclude. I think Joel Embiid and the 76 are probably going to finish at the two seed. I think he's going to be the best performer in the league, and I think he's going to win. Wow. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I guess the reason I ask, is this Lucas MVP here? Because that kind of suggests – kind of suggests and I believe it that Luca's going to win an MVP at some point. It's just a matter of like when, not if, you know? Yeah. Um, so if not this year, maybe next. Denver Nuggets. They finished second in 2018-2019, third in both 2019-2020 and 2020-2021, but they finished sixth last year in 2021-2022. They made the conference finals in 2019-2020, but lost in the first round last year. So 
Can the return of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. propel them right back to that peak where they were at of the conference finals, second seed for two years in a row? Um, or can they even get past that kind of early peak that they had with the score? Oh, yeah. I, I really think so. I think if I'm guessing right now, I would probably project them as a one seed, question wow. mark. Wow. Definitely, definitely top three. Definitely top mm-hmm. three. Because... Mm-hmm. Clippers aren't going to be completely healthy. Grizzlies might take a step back. So there's a power vacuum there that someone needs to go up top. So you think it, they're take with them the Suns and the Warriors? Uh, probably, yeah. yeah. I, I think that, yeah, that's probably the top three seeds in my mind. The only reason that they wouldn't win the one seed, because I think this team is built for their, the regular season, is if it takes a month or two for Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray to come back. Jamal Murray hasn't played an NBA game in like 400 days or something. Yeah, um, which would be so understandable, understandable if it took him time. But I think come playoff time, this seems a lock to get out of round one. And I think from there, there's a gauntlet in the Western Conference. So who knows what's going to happen? But they definitely have the pieces to get there. I will say the uh, the Phoenix Suns won 64 games last season, which was eight more than the next best team in the league and 16 more than the Denver Nuggets. So in order to jump the Phoenix Suns, in theory, uh, it has to be quite the season from the Denver Nuggets, but I'm with you. I'm not putting that out of the realm of possibility. I think this is the most high-powered offense in the league with a healthy Joker, Jamal, MPJ trio. Golden State Warriors, we mentioned them at the top of the of the West again this season, but my question for you, kind of alluding to the punch that Draymond Green threw at Jordan Poole uh, a couple of weeks back, for a team that has always been heralded for its chemistry, how will the drama play out this season? I don't think it will really matter in the short term of the season, especially because Jordan Poole in press conference has been like kind of remarkable in how he's handled it. Not like, oh, I forgive everything, sweep it under the rug, but he's just been very mature about it, especially with all the Golden State Warriors players having his back, but also having Draymond Green's back. I don't think it will really matter, especially after 82 games of the regular mm. season. I don't think it's still going to be on the forefront of their mind when, you know, they're in a tough second round series versus the Los Angeles Clippers. I don't think, you know, a punch from 200 days ago is going to matter. Yeah. That being said, I think this matters when it comes to Draymond Green's future with the team, especially because in the past two days, they've handed out like through like, Three hundred million dollars to Jordan. One forty to Jordan Poole and one hundred seven yeah. to Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah to Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. And everyone was saying before the season, man, like they're probably not going to have enough money to pay all three what they're going to be worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they paid. They paid Andrew Wiggins. They paid Jordan Poole. So Draymond, what happens to Draymond? I think Draymond. It's going to be interesting. I don't think they auto signed him for another max. I think what's going to happen is he's going to test free agency. Either he signs, either he re-signs with the Warriors for a more team-friendly deal because, one, that's where he's been, that's where he's excelled. But two, like, Draymond Green isn't the type of guy to, A, want to just, like, get signed for $35 million by, like, the Spurs and just, like, not compete. And mm. the Spurs wouldn't really use him. Like, that, that wouldn't, unless they were good at that point, it wouldn't really be beneficial to them. Draymond's best on a contender, but then again, those contenders don't really have $35 million to throw around. So that's why I think he's going to be back on the Warriors on like a more team-friendly deal. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think the the trade is is out of the realm of possibility. Like they were talking about on ESPN, like was is Draymond going to trade to the Lakers this season? Like no, um, <laughs> but I do think that Draymond might just be wild enough that he would think he could turn a team that is that is very middling into a contender by himself. You know what I mean? Like he has enough, and I think that that for that for most of his career, it's been a good thing that like competitive energy and fire and it's what made him the player he is um it comes out in situations like these where he's throwing punches during practice but i think that also might be enough to make him think that he is he could do it by himself and he doesn't need the warriors and want to prove that so we'll see how it plays out houston rockets is jabari smith as sure of a thing as people said and is jalen green going to make a jump in year two i think jabari smith is going to be a great nba player and the fact that this is a question is very odd to me because he was so hyped up as like the number one pick this season. And then Orlando Magic made an audible on draft night and selected uh, Paolo Bunker. I just blank. Uh, it's like a Paolo out of uh, Duke. And now the narrative has shifted because of that decision rather than like nothing changed with either of their games. Mm. But now it's like, oh, of course, Paolo is going to win rookie of the year and Jabari is going to take three or four years to develop. When that's that shouldn't be indicative of their their draft or that should have nothing to do with. I think Jabari is going to be a great piece. I think he's probably going to average like fourteen points per game this season. Uh, the Houston environment's pretty good, although I'm not a big Kevin Porter Jr. fan, and they just signed him as we were recording this for like four years, eighty something million dollars, which I'm not a fan wow. of. But I guess yeah, but I, I guess the cap's going up, so it's not that terrible not a fan of, of KPJ really um, with respect to Jalen green. I think he's going to be a good player. I'm not really buying the hype, even though maybe I should, because he averaged like 22 points per game in the last two months of the year. Mm-hmm. He just seen, and I could be falling into like Devin Booker syndrome right now uh, where, you know, a guy is on a terrible team and he's a score first guy. And so I say it's empty numbers. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think it's empty numbers. I think he could be like a like maybe an all-star guy, but I I don't see him as like a John Morant, Anthony Edwards kind of guy. I think we're on the same page there. I like those takes. Los Angeles Clippers. My question here is is with with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard coming back, do you think they can pull off this kind of incredible comeback season championship? Are they a favorite I, out west? I think there's no reason not to say that uh, they have all the tools and are likely to do this. It's between them, the Warriors, the Suns, and the who am I forgetting? Like maybe Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, the Nuggets. Um, so I would say it's between those four. I would take the Clippers over the Suns in a postseason. And then between those three, it's a matter of a seven game series. And, you know, who's, you know, who's, who the hell is healthy by the end of that? Probably not the Clippers, <laughs> but if they are, then, you know, I think they have the two shot makers. They probably have the two best shot makers in any given series, or at least two of the top three, which is really important in the playoffs. And then they're also the deepest team in the league. So that'll carry them to a, a relatively high seed in the regular season. I'm such a Kawhi believer. I'm with you. Like the, the Clippers are dangerous just off of him alone. Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron's race to the scoring record, in my opinion, is the most interesting thing, the most interesting storyline about them this season. Um, are you with me? He has 
1,300 points to go, 82 games to do it in theory if he played all of them. That would put him out at 16 points per game. It's interesting. So I did uh, I did for my newsletter with Enjoy Basketball, I calculated this last week, like mm. when he will do it. So if LeBron plays all 82 games a season, he'll only need to average 16.2 points per game to pass Kareem. But legitimately, like LeBron probably won't play every game. So let's adjust. Uh, last season, he played 56 games, which was very low for him. But at this point in his career, might be expected. So if LeBron plays 56 games this season, he only needs to average 23.7 points. Like that is that is so doable. So yeah. I think LeBron will probably pass Kareem at like the 60th, 65th game of the year, which will be in like early March. So uh, mark your calendars. Wow. And and just a reminder, 23 points per game, but he averaged 30 when he played last season. Yeah. Had he played yeah. like one or two more games, he was going to be the scoring champ. So that the crazy thing here is like this is a team that won the championship in the bubble what three seasons ago and to me the most interesting thing about them is just like the points LeBron is going to put up because I'm just very low on the Lakers being back in the kind of like championship conversation this year so low on Russell Westbrook pretty pretty damn low on, on Anthony Davis as well unfortunately um but so yeah to me it's like it's it's kind of a if not sorry the when not if LeBron James breaks the scoring record for them this season. Memphis Grizzlies, can they be back uh, as a sort of a top two seed um, with Jaron Jackson Jr. missing the first 15 to 20 games of the season and teams like the Clippers, the Nuggets, uh, kind of rallying back in terms of health? I think they can for two reasons. John Morant is probably going to get even better next year. So I like John Mar- like there's no reason he shouldn't get better, right? whether that means just adding to his perimeter game or maybe becoming a little bit better defensively or maybe just having a little more volume. Like, John Moran could very well make an all-NBA first team next year. On top of that, there's no reason Desmond Bain can't get better. In just his second year, Desmond Bain went from a fringe role player to a 17-point-per-game hyper-efficient guy. And I think like Desmond Bain can average 20 points per game this year. And that's really, really exciting from a guy who's that efficient. That's the argument for the Grizzlies. The argument against them is that without, uh, without Jaron Jackson losing Kyle Anderson, this defense is not going to be as good as it was last year until Jaron Jackson gets healthy. Additionally, given that they won 60 games last year, maybe their focus is a little bit less on the regular season. And then finally, a lot, a lot of other teams have gotten better. Timberwolves got better. Um, the Pelicans got better. The Nuggets got better. The Clippers got better. Those are four teams that like will probably be above the Grizzlies, or at least very well could. And and that's in addition to you know Golden State and Phoenix. So there's a universe in which the Suns are like the seventh seed right now, or like yeah. even the eighth seed. So to go from like or the, the Grizzlies to be like a, a seven or an eight seed. And I think I see them as like a more of a five seed than a two seed, honestly, which is crazy to think about, wow. especially because I think John Morant and Desmond Bain are going to be amazing. So I don't, yeah. I don't really know what to think about this Grizzlies game. The one thing I'll add is, is John only played 57 games last season. They were fantastic wow. in the games he didn't play, but John averaged 27 and seven um, on 
50, 34, 76 shooting. Um, they were the second seed in the West. Like, like I said, eight games behind the, the Phoenix Suns and the best team in the, in the East was five games behind the Grizzlies. So really just blew the rest of the league out of the water until in terms of wins besides the Suns. Um, so if he had played a full season, John Morant might've been MVP last year. Um, yeah. Just, just to throw that out there on the side. Wow. Um, so a full season of Jock could be scary if, if that happens. Minnesota Timberwolves, the interesting storyline to me here, I think is, is kind of obvious. It's just like, they just traded the whole farm for, for, uh, for Rudy Gobert. And so to me, it's like, does the twin tower kind of scheme work out? And if not, like, my question, I guess, is like, is that make or break? Like, is it already a bust of a trade? Like, is it, do they have to make it happen this season? They have to show that this was not mm. a complete failure. Yeah, this can yeah. work. They, they're going to get better every year, which is optimistic because Anthony Edwards is going to get better every year. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind. But they do need to prove that they're a top six team in the West this year, at least. Um, which, by the way, like, even that, like, of course, you would say, like, oh, that's, like, not good enough to mortgage your future. I think Minnesota fans would kind of be fine with that, given that they haven't been anything higher than an eight seed since Kevin Garnett. Right? My, like, one, that's my one friend from Minnesota, he just told me he was like, he was like, if we're not a top four seed in the West, I'm going to be pissed. But it's like, that's a that's a tall task this year. I will say, like, like yeah, it's way easier said than done. People forget. It's like, that means there's only three teams better than you out of, out of all these teams we've just been talking about, like the Warriors, the Suns, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Lakers, like, like pick your, to pick your three, but only three teams better than you in the West. Yeah. And, and so from there, I'm, I'm really a fan of this. It makes me happy in the same way that watching that, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Robert Covington, PJ Tucker, no center team made me really happy mm, mm. <laughs> just because I'm like, this is weird. This is, this is new. This is fun. Uh, just like when Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins teamed up, that made me really happy. Hopefully this goes a little better than that health wise, but given that I'm really pumped for the, for this Timberwolves team. Yeah, the the one kind of stipulation I'll add, I, and I didn't, I haven't really had the chance to talk about this before is that. I think that Rudy Gobert by himself, one man wrecking crew on defense, this is well established. But even though the Jazz defenders historically on the perimeter have been good, there's never probably been as bad of a perimeter defender as Carl Anthony Towns will be next to Rudy Gobert. I'm really scared on behalf of the Minnesota Timberwolves for Carl Anthony Towns having to be the four on defense, having to consistently close out on kind of like wing shooters being caught up in any kind of switches like he's going to be living on the perimeter and and the problem here was that without that Crawley Towns was an abysmal defender at the rim I think he was just kind of like maybe a little bit below average probably he's an abysmal defender out in the perimeter and that's not that is that is a that is a scary sight for the Timberwolves is now with Rudy Gobert living at the rim you're putting Crawley Towns out on the perimeter offensively I'm not worried he's Crawley Towns fair New Orleans Pelicans this is kind of bold on my part, and, and let's see if you agree. But my question is, what All-NBA team is Zion going to walk back in as? <laughs> um, I think he'll probably be third team again, uh, like he okay. was two years ago. Which That's so sick that like we can ask this question of like a 23-year-old who's played like 82 games yeah. uh, in his career, right? 85, um, yeah. 
85 games in his career. Like, that's so ridiculous. I, he's going to be super good. I've, I've been seeing a lot of, like, low-key MVP hype for Zion Williamson. I don't wow. know if I'm buying into that. Like, no, I, just I as, a, am, as a random but... breakout contender for it. Yeah, he's uh, never been All-NBA, but he's a one-time All-Star. Yeah, I, I think he'll make All-NBA third team this year if he stays healthy. Because the Pelicans will be, like, I don't know, the seventh seed. And mm-hmm. he'll be the leader of that, averaging the same numbers he did before. <laughs> yeah, which would be 26-7. You know, I, I just, to me, he's he's the most efficient and dominant, like, basketball player since uh, since Shaq like I just it, it's it's unbelievable that like he's only played 84 I guess 85 games and we are I already have such high expectations for him I, I think he he can walk back into the NBA as a top 10 player this season and I guess technically it will be his third year but like we've such a, just seen such a small sample size of him and I'm so confident in the player he's going to be um the Oklahoma City Thunder to me their story on the season is just the race to the bottom for Victor Wembanyama. Not sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's kind of nothing else to add, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think if they hit this, that would be so fun to see Victor with Chet Holmgren. Talk about the twin like, towers with Cat yeah, and the, Rudy. Like, yeah. The, these are the thin towers, bro. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Uh, and it's it's going to be so fun to see them like, even just independently, but even together, like catching a rebound and just taking it up the court. And then like mm. imagine Chet catching a rebound, taking it up the court, and then dishing to Webin Yama in like the corner. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's the future of basketball. That's some like twenty seventy two yeah. basketball right there. But <laughs> yeah. holy Yeah. Uh yeah, that's kinda all I have to say. With Chet out for the full Agreed. season, like Shea's probably barely gonna play. Um like that's kind of the storyline is like is like can they get Victor with their own pick? Because I think they have like I don't even know how many first round picks next year. It's like four or something, but they only have their own first round pick in this draft, I believe. Um, the Suns. The big question here to me and is just can they bounce back from their series loss to the Mavericks? I really do think so. I think NBA fans are often like there's a little bit of mob rule. There's a little bit of follow the crowd mm-hmm. in, in their takes. And so when you see very memorable things, like the last time we saw the Phoenix Suns, they were getting blown out by 40 on their home court in the playoffs. And then in NBA media day, we see them and DeAndre Ayton is moping around and the vibes don't seem great. Those two things, like one happened six months ago. And the other one is just, is just vibes. I want to see some concrete form of like, oh, this team is actually just not playing well together, right? Because the, re- the, the Suns were in that position because they won 64 games and then they won the first round and then they took a Mavericks team to seven games. They're still a very good roster. To me, this has nothing to do with, with vibes or anything. This has to do with whether Chris Paul can stay healthy. If he can they're going to be a top three seed again. And I think that's kind of the end of the conversation. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, like I said, this is a team that won 64 games last season. So do not forget that. It's going to be a lot of things to overcome that embarrassing loss that you mentioned, but but we'll see. The Portland Trailblazers, do they continue to keep fa- to stand fast and keeping Dame 
um, and kind of holding on to this to this era, or do they finally give in like so many other teams are doing in the tank for Victor? I mean, I think they've already decided, right? Like they could have traded him and CJ McCollum two years ago for slew of draft picks, and they didn't. You know, we can talk about whether that decision was good or not, but they traded CJ McCollum for. I forgot. They did not get a great return for him, but it wasn't a they, it wasn't a young return, right? Josh they got, Hart. They got, yeah, they had Josh Hart and like someone I don't know. Um, and so from that, the, their additions this offseason, I am a fan. They they have terrible perimeter defense. So they had Gary Payton. They added Josh Hart, who's who's a good defender. Um, they wanted more lanky wings that could actually have some skill, as opposed to. Uh, the good old, the good old Evan Turner and Al Farouk Aminu days, right? And so they added Jeremy Grant. And so those three additions are very solid guys. And if you pair that with the growth of Anthony Simons, who was like one of the most efficient and high volume guys we have seen recently, <laughs> like in the second half of last season, he was averaging like 25 on like 50, 50, like 38, like 80 or something. Something along those lines, like crazy efficient. So even with the same small backcourt, I think that they have made some very shrewd moves around the edges, around the perimeter, to where this roster is at least going to be like a nine seed, at least. That's their floor, in my opinion, if everyone stays healthy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You're right. They've like kind of stayed in win-now mode. I'm just kind of interested to see all season if Dame is the same player where, you know, it doesn't feel like that long ago that that he was quite firmly the second best point guard in the league behind Steph Curry and kind of felt like he was grabbing at the heels when he when he hit the like bye bye shot over Paul George in the playoffs. Um, yeah, so so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Sacramento Kings, how does the full season of Fox Sabonis play out? We kind of mentioned them as a bland team, but but maybe this is a year where they kind of made this made made this move to, to to hopefully be in be in contention. Do you think it plays out for them or no? Yeah, I, I really don't think this team is bland. I think historically they are. I, I think this year they are definitely not. This is the first full year of Sabonis and Fox, mm. uh, like a very fun lefty duo in the pick and roll. Fox is really fast. Sabonis is like people aren't talking about this. Sabonis is the best player De'Aaron Fox has played with in his five year career the best player and so that's (laughs) notable that's notable right he's an all-star caliber guy De'Aaron Fox is an all-star caliber guy I I think because the West is so stacked I think they're gonna be like a 10 or 11 but that's this team is solid and I think Keegan Murray is very exciting he could help win now Um, I, I think that that's their ceiling but I still think this team is fun yeah, no, that's a great call with the best player that he's played with too. Uh, Boogie Cousins' last season on the on the Kings was 2016-2017. I just I just gave a little check too. San Antonio Spurs, who emerges with the shot opportunities left behind by Demar last season? Now this season, Dejounte. Uh, I think clearly the option one A will be Keldon uh, Johnson. Mm. Who like seventeen points per game. His shooting has been very up and down, but he shows some promise. He's like. Six five six six, very lanky, very athletic, and I'm curious to see how he will handle that because I don't think his game is particularly like a number one option. 
So it's a yeah. little odd to see those guys be thrust into these circumstances, but I am curious to see like if he's for if he gets free reign, like how much he can do out there. And then same thing goes with uh, I would say out of all these young guys, I would say Devin Vassell. Uh, I think he could very well, you know, show some promise as well. Kind of a weirdly similar build to uh, Keldon Johnson, just like kind of one year younger. Uh, so I, I think same thing goes for Vassell. And then also Jeremy Sochan, I'm so hyped for. I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, and there's sneakily like Josh Primo, who is the youngest player in the draft last yeah. season. Um, I don't know anything so, about him, bro. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of play, players they've drafted recently. Yeah, yeah neither do I really. Um, shout out to Jakob Pertl. I mean, he's not going to put up yeah. huge offensive numbers, but sneakily is like maybe the best player on this team. Um, yeah. Utah Jazz. The kind of the only thing here is like they totally blew it up. How does it pay off? Is Colin Sexton really the the like centerpiece of the trade that they wanted? What do you think? I think that it will pay off in terms of they'll be really bad and get a top three pick. So that can be a win in of itself. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that I highly doubt anything that Lowry Markinen or Colin Sexton gives you this year long-term is going to be better than what R.J. Barrett would give you like three years from now. So I think from that, if you're in a rebuild, yes, you want like some nice pieces. I think Laurie generally contributes to winning. I think um, Jared Vanderbilt, who they got, is a great role player on a winning team. But, you know, unfortunately, Jared Vanderbilt's not really going to be doing that much in terms of like the rim running, like the defense, the help side for like you know this this 20 win utah jazz team um but generally i think i think it will pay off because they're gonna get a top three pick and that's good for them yeah no i'm with you on that i i think i think overall this season though they will look smart at the end of it um for being terrible for being one of the first teams to kind of sell it all for victor when i think that you'll see some teams kind of mid-season start selling things or or um I don't know, having guys just like sit out huge chunks of games. You know, Danny Ainge was ahead of the ahead of the curve in, in trading uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert this offseason, I think. So shout out to them for that. That's kind of all we got. 30 yeah. teams, 30 top storylines. Good stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Space to Floor NBA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, we're available on YouTube. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to follow us on socials, our Instagram is Space the Floor Podcast and our Twitter is Space the Floor. Thank you so much. My name is Connor Geelan. And I'm Connor Flannery. And see you guys next time. Peace. Shout out to Evan Turner. I saw him over the summer, just randomly on the street. Cool dude. And shout out to a friend of the podcast, Olivier Saar, for uh, his upgraded contract with the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs>